Let's try that again. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I was hoping Pastor Dawn would be here. I'm missing. But my aim will get better. Some of you will get that after church. All right, so let's, let's begin. It was the early 1920s in Lawrence, Massachusetts, when a boy named Ferdinand DeMera was born. He dropped out of high school when he ran away from home to join an order of monks. And, and by the early 1940s, he enlisted in the Army uh, as well as the Navy, and he went, he went AWOL from both of them. For those not military folks in here, it's absent without leave, unauthorized leave. He went on to assume a series of aliases and was a, a college instructor. He was a prison warden, warden and a law student, among other occupations. During the Korean War, uh, DeMera pulled off his boldest hoax after stealing credentials of a doctor he knew and masquerading as a surgeon with the Royal Canadian Navy. Working aboard a destroyer, DeMera performed a number of surgical procedures including the extraction of a bullet lodged near one soldier's heart. Later on, he would admit that he consulted a medical textbook and figured out what to do, how to do such a surgery. DeMera's success eventually brought media attention that led him to being exposed as a fraud. As a fraud. Many in the world today, and many in our churches today, are living like Ferdinand DeMera but in a spiritual sense, in a spiritual sense, uh, a spiritual imposter, if you want to say. They're, they're just like he stole those credentials of a doctor that he knew and masqueraded as a surgeon. They're, they're stealing the credentials of the righteousness of Christ. They're, 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 they've never officially obtained them, so to speak. They've never truly come to Christ. They've never truly been born again, and they have these stolen credentials, right? They, 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 they might even do some good things, right? Posing in the name of Christ. They may do some good things. They may, they may feed some hungry folks. They may clothe some poor folks. And, and, and from time to time, they may even pick up the Bible and, I don't know, find a good moral lesson for life. But they have stolen credentials, like our, like our, our, our example here. And, then, and, and, and the cost, though, is much, much more. Ferdinand de Mera was, was embarrassed publicly, right? He was embarrassed publicly. He was found out to be a fraud. But someone in a spiritual sense, because when we say spiritual, we're always dealing with eternal things. In a spiritual sense, folks that are playing church, it's going to be worse than a public humiliation when they're exposed. Because when a, a false Christian is exposed for the last time, the very last time, it's when they're standing before God in judgment. They may have played church all their life and done all these things and gone with the stolen credentials, but it'll be much worse than just a public humiliation and embarrassment. It's much worse because it comes along with, depart from me, I never knew you. You worker of lawlessness. And that's an eternal condemnation. That's for all creation to see and to cheer as God cast the person to hell because his wrath has been fulfilled. They've been living on what, what, us, what us veterans got. When somebody claims to be a veteran, they're not really a veteran. It's called stolen valor. And it's kind of what, what they're, in a spiritual sense, they're, 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 they have stolen valor. And so, so as Pastor Dawn tells us, what's Pastor, he says it a little differently. What's he say? 
check your birth certificate, right? We've heard him say that many times. And so that's kind of where we're going today. Um, the, the Lord, as I began putting this together, I, I set out for assurance. And you'll see assurance here and we'll find assurance. But this message, my hope is, is twofold. If you're here as a believer, I want it to be an encouragement, right? If, if, if you're a non-believer, I hope this causes you great concern. Because that's the most loving thing I can do is cause you great concern. To cause you to go back to your knees, to cause you to wrestle with the scriptures, to cause you to, to wrestle with God over these things in your life. So, so, so that, that's my hope here. Towards the beginning of 1 John chapter 3, um, we, we see that a true born-again believer has a new nature given to him by God. A new nature given to him by God. A, a new nature that, 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 that they're, they're far apart from the world. As a matter of fact, the, the Bible often describes Christians as, as exiles or strangers. Uh, we see, uh, just you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, um, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, uh, it says this. It says, for we are fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to the one an aroma from death to death to, a, to the other an aroma of life to life. And who is adequate for these things? And so we see that we are, we are exiles. We are strangers. A believer is. Christ was not of this world, was he? And neither should his children be. So we want to, I, want to, I want to walk through this and unpack this and see how, how John speaks to this. And, and, and we, would, we should see in our lives that as we grow more and more towards Christ, it, it, it's kind of like the, the pendulum moves. The more we gravitate towards one side and grow more towards Christ, it should cause a greater separation on the other side. So that the closer we go to Christ, the, the bigger the chasm between us and the world. The closer we grow to Christ, the further away from the world we should grow. We should magnify Christ more and more and more. And what we will see is an incompatibility with sin. It's incompatible with sin. Incompatible. So let's start. Let's begin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 starts out. He says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. To, to practice, the term that John's using here is to make a practice. It's habitual actions he's referring to. That, that there's an incompatibility here between the lifestyle of sin and the lifestyle of righteousness. If I could bring this to a modern day term that we see in the church, sadly, it's, it's known as carnal Christianity. Friends, I'm here to tell you, all in all love, carnal Christianity, there's no such thing. It's a lie from the pit of hell. There's no such thing as a carnal Christian. It's, it's, it's not. And, and where that comes from, where does that carnal Christianity come from? That, that teaching, that lie, it comes from unbiblical methods of evangelism that creates false converts. People walk out after some kind of religious experience Maybe the lights were just right and the band played the right song and the emotions were going. They had a little emotional, tingly feeling, maybe a tear or two. And they walk out. And in truth, they're just walking out with enough morality to soothe their conscience. But their life never changes. And, and what John is saying here is that they walk out. They, they continue practicing in that sin. There's no difference. They, they just continue to live like the world, act like the world, love the world and everything that's in the world. 
Real life example, you come to church, you sit, you praise God, you raise your hand. The same eyes that you, that you look to God with and the same mouth you worship with are the same eyes and mouth you're going to go home and put your face in front of a television show that, that, that doing things God hates. You're going to go watch and bathe and enjoy a sin that Christ was crushed on the cross for. Those are, those are two opposite different things. You can't have both. You, can't, you don't have one foot in and one foot out. Now, do Christians sin? Sadly, yes. Yes, we do. Matter of fact, if, if we look a little, a, a few a chapter back in verse 8, John, John, we have a tendency to sin. John says if we, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and truth's not in us. So yes, we have that sin tendency, but he doesn't leave us there. He also tells us in verse 9 that, that uh, in verse 9 that we'll confess it. What's he say in verse 9? If we confess our sins... He is faithful and he is righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I am writing these things so that you may not sin. And if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So yes, we do have a sin tendency. There's a confession of sin. John just doesn't leave us in, in, in one place. So you put this all together and you see that a true believer, a true Christian... Not an imposter, like our, our story we started with. A true Christian cannot, will not, cannot have a life modeled after sin. So, so think about this today. Think about this. In, 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 as, as an old pastor, I, I used to sit under, said a checkup from the neck up is what he used to call it. Think about this. In your life, you don't need anybody to judge you. God's given you a conscience. You were created in his image. Think about it. Is, is, there, is, is this reality in your life? Is there, is there something in your life that has you handcuffed? Is there a sin that you know God has revealed to you and, but you just can't stop? That should be a red flag. That should be a, a concern at the very least. Notice John says here, and what's he associate that sin with? That practice of, the habitualness of, he, he ties it to lawlessness. Now that's not just sin. Today's church, we gloss over that. Well, you know, we're all sinners. No, no, no. John puts an exclamation point on it. He ties it to lawlessness. Lawlessness is, is rebellion. It's rebellion. It's the opposite. It's no law. It's rebellion against God's law. Now, we're not under law. We're under grace. I get that. But how does that look within the attributes of a Christian? A Christian, this is the nature. Here's another signpost here. A nature of a true Christian, a true believer. Is this a reality in your life? A, a, a true Christian has a new nature, new desires, new affections. A, a, a true Christian observes God's law and keeps it with all their hearts, Psalm 119.34. A true Christian, God's law to them is delight, Psalm 119.77. A true Christian, they love God's law. They meditate it all the day, Psalm 119.97. And, 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 and the law, is the Christian knows, is holy. The Christian sees it as righteous. The Christian sees it as good. Romans 7, 12. You see that? You, you, you see a Christian's view of the law versus an unbeliever's view of the law. And, and John contrasts those there. And that's what he's saying. He's talking about lawlessness. It's rebellion. And friends, don't forget, Samuel tells us in, in, in 1 Samuel 15, 23, rebellion is a sin of what? Witchcraft, divination. So let's pause for a moment and see where we're at. If, if you practice sin, it's lawlessness, it's open rebellion against God, 
which, which, which he equates even with witchcraft. So, so, so think as we're talking, I want you to consider, is, is there a sin that, that, that you're holding on to today? Is there something before your eyes that shimmers, that dazzles you? Something in this world that you just cannot shake? I want you to wrestle with this. I don't want to give you a final. I want to give you something to wrestle with God with so that God may do a work in your heart. He goes on in verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin, he says. John continues to, to grow this division between practicing righteousness and practicing lawlessness. And this is the very reason for Christ's intersection into history 2,000 years ago into our world. This is, this is the very reason that, that he came. Look over there. It says to take away sins. Now, that's not the same as to blot out sins, but to take them away. That, that, that takes away the love and the power of sin. Because, because Christ is working in a believer's life. He's continually working in a believer's life. And, and Christ is our example. Now, we'll never obtain that perfection this side, of, this side of, of, of heaven, right? But his nature, we should imitate Christ. That's what Ephesians says, imitators of Christ. And to imitate Christ, we imitate his nature, to be like him, to be not like of this world, that he came to take away sins. In other words, to break that bondage of sin. That a, what's 2 Corinthians 5, 17? You're a what in Christ? You're a new creature. Church, this is very important. Today on the battle lines, in the church today, there are some coming in disguised as Christians, disguised as new believers, disguised as even pastors. And they're trying to, to pass this off, this, this underhanded thing. It's the denial of Jesus Christ breaking the bondage. When, when we see somebody on the streets, or where we typically, where I, anyway, I typically see these people in addiction, for example. I know something of addiction from, from, from tobacco before I was saved. Um, but how can we believe on one hand the scriptures that say Christ can secure us from eternity, for eternity, that Christ can take a spiritually stillborn dead person, we're all spirit, born spiritually stillborn, and make it life new to bring that person to life spiritually. But he can't break an addiction of this world. Does that mean the sin of whatever that addiction is is more powerful than Christ? I'm not saying there won't be a struggle, but there, there should be a break. Christ came to break the chains of sin. He came to break the bondage. That's, that's the Jesus of the Bible. And I tell you this because there's a movement right now, and I'm not going to get into all the social justice stuff. It's, it's horrible. It's horrible. It's an attack on the church. But one in particular with homosexuality and how they're sliding it into the church is there, there, there is a lady who, who has, uh, I hope she's saved, she claims to be saved, she's written a book on it, there's another guy that's very prominent, and he has started a movement, and here's, if you read the book carefully, you've got to be careful and have a discerning eye. They, they try to underhanded slide this into the church, a denial of Jesus Christ having the power to break bonds, and here's how they do it, it's very slick. It's, they'll start quoting Hebrews and these other scriptures. But, well, Christ is tempted in every way, just like you. Yes, friends, Christ was tempted in every way, but he had no desire to do that sin. Right. You see the difference? He had no desire. 
Why did he have no desire? Because there's no sin in him. That's why he has the power to break the bonds of sin, to take that sin away. But the way they, they play this out, it's a slide of hand. It still ushers in homosexuality into the church. It says you can live in that desire for homosexuality. Just don't act on it. You can live on that desire because Christ was tempted in every way too. Did you see how, see how that flows, that slide of hand? No, no, no. Christ had no desire to do that. That's the difference. And let, 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 let's say it a little different way. Would any of you, what would you think of me as a Christian if I walked around and said, yeah, I'm safe. Man, I got a desire for this girl down at the local pub. She is hot. I got a desire for my wife standing right there. What would you think of me? You see how they're trying to slide that in? And it's a denial of this scripture that Christ came to take away sins to break this bondage. If you are here today as a believer, you should be able to look back at your life. A month ago, three months ago, three years ago, whatever. And you should be able to see that though you're not quite there yet, that Christ has brought you from somewhere. And that should give you encouragement. That should give you joy. That praise God, I'm not who I was, though I'm not yet who I'm going to be on the other side when I'm glorified before the throne of God. Amen. See that? That's a, a bondage, a brokenness of sin. And now we come to maybe the most difficult part of, of this passage. This is a part where if you're not on your toes, um, and, and when we, we talked about this a little bit, uh, Carla and, and Connie and Jerry, we were in, in Bible study a couple weeks ago, that, that this is where you can get caught up in it. This is where somebody who wants to deny God and the lies of atheism and evolution and all that foolishness, and they're going to come and talk to you about contradictions in the Bible. Friends, listen, I'm going to make it simple for you. There are no contradictions in Scripture. If we see a contradiction, it's just because we haven't studied enough to reconcile what it really means. Here's one of those examples. Here's a real life example. You can take this with you. No charge for it. Here we go. If we look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 6 and 9, they look as if they're confusing when we consider chapter 1, verse 8. Let me read them to you. 1 John chapter 3, verse 6 says this, No one who abides in him sins... No one who sins has seen him or knows him. That's what verse 6 says. Then verse 9, skip down there, and it says this. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. He cannot sin because he's born of God. So over here, it looks like John is saying, wait a minute. There's no sin in them. They're born of God. They can't sin. But what, what about what John said earlier in chapter 1, verse 8? John also says, but if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth isn't in us. You see, you see that? You see how it looks confusing there? At the beginning of the book, John says, if you say you don't sin, you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. Then, then here he says you can't sin. How do, how, do we, how do we match that up? How does that come together? Because it looks like two different, completely different things. At first glance, it looks like that. And, and this ushers in all kinds of questions. Can a Christian sin? How much can a Christian sin? How much can I sin and get away with it and still be a Christian? How much? We start thinking of all these questions, right? And, and it's good to think of these things. So there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of different interpretations. I'm going to give you the two biggest camps, and then I'm going to give you the right answer. The first camp, and we saw something of this. Um, uh, Eric and I did the other day. Maybe I don't know if you watched it. There was a, um, a, a pastor who, who uh, you guys remember, if you took the evangelism class, we showed that... Um, Unpl uh, what's it called? Uh, unpopular. The movie, Unpopular. Remember we showed that. 
the, 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 the main uh, pastor in there, Emilio Ramos, he's from Texas. He has been going for about 11 years on every day, once a week at this college campus, University of North Texas, uh, there in Denton, Texas. Uh, once a year, um, this false teacher comes through, and Emilio went and <laughs> called him out and so forth. But this guy, you saw this. You, what I'm about to tell you, you saw manifested what it looks like in real life. He, he, he falls into this camp, this first camp, this first camp here, this first misinterpretation is what's known as sinless perfectionism. Sometimes you saw this in the old days. If you know anybody, uh, Eric, your dad and I were talking about this yesterday, in the holiness movement and, and the, the, this, this sinless perfectionism. Basically, these people in this camp, they believe you have to work to get to that place of sinlessness. And then when you get there, um, you know, the, 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 there is no sin in you, right? There's no sin in you. Uh, typically, you have to work to get there. You do something to earn it, and then you can lose it if you, if you earn it. But, but they also typically are Pelagians. You know what Pelagians are? They're ones that believe. They don't believe in original sin. They, they don't believe we're marked with that original sin coming out of uh, being born. And so they do something to obtain that sinless perfectionist. And they'll try to twist the scriptures. And you'll see right there, John says, he, there's no sin in them. They can't sin, is what John will say. Or is what they'll say when they're twisting John's word. This is why you typically find this out of the, uh, this man-centered, um, incorrect Arminian theology. It's works-based. And that's usually the 99.999% of the times all the sinless perfectionist folks you'll find come out of that camp. Because it's that you can you do something to this, which is nothing more than decisionism. I made a decision for Christ. God and I decided, right? And it's man-centered. And then that also leads to you can lose your salvation. Because if I had to earn it, well, then I can do something to lose it. And it takes the sovereignty of God out of there. And so that's what, what we see there. Now, this sinless perfectionism, the easiest way around this, friends, it's, it's so easy. And, 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 and it's... It's not really that you don't have to be a theological scholar to refute that. If someone comes up to you and they're in that camp, this holiness camp, they're I'm a sinless perfectionist. God cleanse me of all my sins. I don't sin anymore. I can't sin. The Bible says there's no sin in me. I can't sin. His seeds in me. And they try twisting this. It's very easy to refute that. One of my favorite Bible teachers says, What's the greatest sin someone can commit? The greatest sin. Maybe one could say breaking the greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandment? Anybody? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So you just look at that person professing sinless perfection that they never sin, and ask them if they if they're doing that right now. <laughs> Are you doing that? You can't. You're not. Nobody can. Nobody can do that for one second. That's how much grace God rains down upon us as believers. That's how He keeps us every day. But so that's easy to refute that, and a lot of that comes from poor evangelism. A misunderstanding of the gospel and maybe a greater misunderstanding of who man is, his nature is. His nature, Genesis 6, 5, puts all that to bed. God says we're evil continually, our imagination always. That's what we are outside of Jesus Christ. So, so that's the one camp. The sinless perfectionists, they read that and they say, I don't sin, I can't sin. John says it right there. The other way the pendulum can swing is what's known as antinomianism, Right? Basically teaching that, that it's all grace. We can just live however we want, right? These are typically the people that I talked about earlier. They've had some kind of religious experience, and they walk out of church. The morality soothes their conscience, and they just go on living. 
Are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Why you oh, I believe in Jesus. He, he saved me. I prayed a prayer one time. And da, 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 da. And, but they live like the world. There's no difference. And antinomianism teaches that, 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 that why regard the, the, the law of God? Everything is just grace, 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 grace. More sin, no problem. More grace. Right? Sin comes and grace can abound even more. That's the other side of that pendulum. When, when, when they get here from this. However, the way we need to understand this, the best way to understand this is we, we have to look at the, the, the tense of the Greek in, in this. And, and I'm not a scholar by any means, but even the average person, which is probably smarter than me, can figure this out. and just do some little research and, and spend some time in it. Every one of these are present tenses, which means that John is referring to continuous, habitual action. Is a Christian going to sin? Yes. Sadly, a Christian is going to sin. However, that sin cannot, matter of fact, it must not and will not be relentless and continuous and habitual. It can't be. Because if you claim Christ on one hand and on the other hand you're walking daily with sin in your life and there's no brokenness over that, that denies the deity of Christ. It denies his sinless nature. It takes his power away, his power to, to save us from sins. It takes away Christ's power to break the bonds of sin. There can't be an unbroken <clears throat> pattern of sin. The sin in your life should be marked by a broken pattern. You may fall into it for a season. It may be a bad sin for a season. But Christ is sufficient to save. Paul even says, uh, of the worst of who I am. So I think we all qualify for that. Does that make sense? How that works? How, what John is meaning there? He's talking about habitual sin. Practicing sin. Remember I said at the beginning, if you're here and you are a believer, this should encourage you that, 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 that you still have this joy. But if you're here and you've just been playing church, Eric talked to a guy uh, last uh, this past Friday. Well, I've been in church for, I go to church and I go to church and I go to church. I go, well, you might have gone to church and you might have got church and you might have got religion, but you didn't get Jesus. Many people were in that boat. And if you're here, I'm not talking down to you. I'm trying to encourage you to read this scripture and see this. See the warning flag and turn to Christ. Now, verse 7, he continues. He says, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. A little bit of a history lesson. Most, most uh, early church fathers and historians placed John in his older years. In Ephesus, okay, he's doing evangelistic outreach. He's overseeing churches that have come up, and in his older years, John had a writing ministry. And and I, and I mentioned Ephesus because Ephesus was a hotbed for philosophy. It was a hotbed for uh, philosophy and so forth. And 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 John is kind of he's warning. And we see this warning. It came through in Acts chapter twenty, verse twenty-eight through thirty. Paul warns, and Paul says, "Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock." among which Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And here's the warning Paul gives. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And here it is, listen. And from among your own selves, within the church, these men will rise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Friends, all you have to do is turn on TV and you'll see that play right before your eyes. No, I'm serious. And it causes me great pain because I see somebody on 
the street or at a supermarket or at a coffee shop that have been marked, that have been exactly what John says, don't be deceived. They've been deceived. And they're so hard to reach. They're so hard to reach. You, you, you try just explaining a simple truth of the Bible in the most loving tone you can, you can muster up. And it's still, you're hateful, you're judgmental, you're condescending. Who are you to say this? That's what that verse means to you. It's not what this verse means to me. And it's, it's a mess. And short of the Holy Spirit intervening in that and changing that person's heart, it's not. But Paul, Paul warns. And so John picks up and John tells that. And the whole book, and John, the, the purpose John wrote these epistles was to refute the false teachers called, uh, known as Gnostics and Gnosticism, right? And to encourage and offer assurance that we, we as Christians, as believers, as little children, as it says, that, that, that Gnosticism came in, had influence, like Plato was an influencer of Gnosticism, basically teaching that, that matter was inherently evil um, and the spirit was good and only those with certain divine knowledge could know certain things. Um, they, they had the idea that without special revelation or divine knowledge, um, you couldn't know things. Um, and they also denied the incarnation of Christ. And here is the problem. That's probably the biggest thing. Because they would give some credit to Christ. They would agree on some things with John. But here's the thing. When you deny the incarnation of Christ, here's what happens. If Jesus is not God, guess what he can't do? He can't atone for our sins. Right. He can't. If he's not God, he can't. He denies the adequacy of the atonement. And we would be lost in our sins forever. And Jesus' perfect atonement would be inadequate. But it was adequate. It was, and that's why John is, is calling out, listen, John is warning the believers. It's when he says little children. He's talking to the believers. And he's telling them, don't be deceived. He's warning them. He's warning them. Listen, when you hear a warning from the pulpit or from a, a beloved relative who you know has been walking with Christ, an older saint, two things when you hear a warning. One, listen. Even if it's not somebody you listen to, listen anyway. Because chances are, in this connected world that we're in where everybody knows everything instantly when instant messaging and social media and everything, you know somebody, a friend or a relative who does listen to that false teacher. Right. Or it may be somebody you like. And we live in a culture now, and you're finding this very quickly, that, that it's everybody is all about discernment. Everybody is all about these warnings, like John says, little children. Like Paul warns about those that will come and tickle your ears. And, 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 and they're hoorah when Paul says in, in Romans 16, when Paul says in the King James, mark them that cause division. But buddy, when it comes to somebody that you may have been listening to for years, there's a whole other lot of scripture twisting, because they're going to go back and they're going to say, touch not the anointing. Seriously, which is not what that verse means at all. That's the world we live in. That's the world we live in. And so, so, so be mindful. What, what should we do? Be a Berean. What do Bereans do? When Paul came, <laughs> be a Berean. Go back. Search the scriptures. Don't just take somebody's word for it. Okay, he said this. I'm going to swallow my pride and put myself away for a minute. And let me just get alone with God and see what, what he actually says about it. Be a Berean. Don't take my word for it. Don't take, don't take his word. Don't take Pastor Don's word. Be a Berean search of scriptures and see what John is warning. Why? True love warns. Amen. It warns because you love people. Second greatest commandment. Love, love your neighbor as yourself. You don't love anybody as much as you love yourself. I don't care how married you are, how long you've been married. If we're all honest, you don't love anybody like you love yourself. That's why God gives us that commandment. To love your neighbor as yourself. 
to strive after that. And if you love your neighbor, why would you want to watch them drink down the poison of false teaching when you've been warned about it? You see it in the scriptures. Enough of that. Let's move on. Let's finish this out here. John chapter 3, 8 through 10 says this. He says, the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. He didn't say to cause you to just stray away for a while and then come back and destroy the works of the devil. No one who practice, no one who is born of God practices sin. There it is. Because his seed abides in him. He cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. John makes this as simple as he can be, friends. It's kind of like the old adage we have, what, right? It looks like a duck, flies like a duck, swims like a duck, quacks like a duck. It's probably a duck. There, there, there's no great theological degree you have to have to practice simple discernment using that slab of meat God's put between our ears. Just, if you're one who is in practice of sin, you don't ref reflect the Savior, you're reflecting the devil. If that is you, if that's what you're practicing. Like the, the Ferdinand de Merit at the beginning of our story, he says, you, you, you may give the appearance of a Christian. Oh, you may look good on Sunday and you're dapper little, whatever you got going on there. You may look nice and, and you may go to the restaurant and you may tip so well and you may go out that week and feed all these people and do all this. You may do this, but, 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 but. The outside of the, of the bowl is clean, but the inside is as rotten and dirty as can be. At your core, you don't have anything of the light of Christ inside you. So again, if you're a believer and you're here, I want to encourage you that 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 if there's this though you're in though there's sin in your life, there's a broken pattern. You can see that. It, and once that pattern it comes and you're broken, you get on your face before God and you come to God in repentance and in faith. You continue that. It's not you just do it one time. You, it's a lifestyle. Why? Because you can't, you can't do anything else. This is one of my favorite illustrations. Let's say Eric and Lauren come in. We should have done this, dude. We should have done this. They bring their Lauren's pet pig in. We put that pig right back there, right where Eric's sitting. And over here, we put a great big old steak. Steak, potatoes, all the stuff we love. And then over here in a dish, I go to maybe Texas Roadhouse and I get all their leftovers they've thrown in the garbage, right? When I was in the Navy, we'd get done at the galley and they would throw all the stuff in, the, in, in this big, these big 55-gallon garbage cans and a farmer would come and back his truck up and we would set those big garbage cans in his truck full of slop, just all the waste of food, and he'd take it to his farm, he had a pig farm. And we put that bucket of slop over here. When Eric, what's your pig name? Rosemary. When Eric turns Rosemary loose, is she going to the steak dinner or is she going to the slop? Where's she going? She's going to the slop. That's her nature. That's what she loves. That's what she drinks down. Now let's pretend for a minute that, that we just snap our fingers and that pig becomes a person, a human being. And that person's starving hungry. Just starving hungry, right? Where's he going to go when he comes running up that aisle? 
He hasn't eaten in four days, five days. Where's he going to run? Is he going to run to the slop? Is he going to run to the state? He's going to run to the state. And that is an example of your nature in Christ. When, when you have that new nature in Christ, you don't desire that stuff. You, you, you don't desire it. You desire the good stuff. You desire this. And what's he say? A practice of. So your practice is continually going and feasting on what is good and what God said is right and holy and just and truthful. And then if at a time you're coming up, you're coming, you're walking. And all of a sudden you take your eyes off Christ and you turn to look at something else and you start walking off in the other direction and you trip and you fall the minute your face hits that slop you're going to come up out of there immediately and go get clean why because it's not your nature you can't stay in it you can't stay in the slop you can't stay in the sin you're, you have a new nature there's the evidence of your salvation the new nature new desires because why? You've been taking a heart of stones, been taken away, you've been given a heart of flesh that can respond. I want you to think about your salvation today. I want you to contemplate these things. I want to encourage you that if you're here in a season of struggle, and we all go through them. If you're here as a true believer and you're in a season of, uh, of struggle where there, there is sin in your life, maybe it's ravaging your mind or, or, or in your spirit, you feel so broken today. Maybe you're downtrodden, you're like, man, I just give up. I can't do this Christianity thing anymore. I just can't do it. I want you to think about something. No, you can't do it. Neither can I. It's why Jesus came. It's a religion of done. Christianity is a religion of done. It's done. It's not a religion of, of works that's taught in so many other places today. It's a religion of done. So, so ask your, here's, here's some inventory, some spiritual inventory. Ask yourself these questions. If you claim to be a Christian, is this a reality? Does your sin come easily to you? If it does, red flag. Do you just forget about it till you don't feel bad anymore? Red flag. Is, or, or, or is there a wrenching in your heart? Is, is there a wrenching in your heart that drives you back to your knees? Is, is that a reality in your life? Is, 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 is there such a weight of the joy of the magnificent Savior who is mighty to save that there is such sin in your life that it has no consistent pattern? Because Jesus is Jesus and he's so mighty to save and he's so powerful to break the bonds of sin. Is that a reality? That though you fall into that sin, you, 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 you desire that joy of Christ. That, 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 that unspoken, something you can't just explain is that joy of Christ, the, the security of Christ, the peace beyond understanding of Christ. Is that a reality? Is the sin in your life continually disrupted by a pattern of repentance and faith? If when you fall in sin, it, here, here's the easy test. Do you, do you just kind of meander around it outside the walls of the law of Moses that condemns you? Or do you run to the sanctuary of city called Jesus Christ for forgiveness? To get up, brush it off, and try it again. Known as sanctification. Is that a reality in your life? I want you to think about these things. Because you've been born again. You've been regenerated. You've got a new heart, a new nature, a new desire, a new mind, a mind set on the spirit, Romans 8, 6, that, that your mind is set on things above, Colossians 3, 2, and you're disconnected from earthly things, Philippians 3, 19. Is that the overall arc in your life? I can't answer that for you. Pastor Don can't answer that for you. 
You need to get alone with God and answer that. And if it's not, pray to Christ. Christ loves to save bad people. And every one of us in here qualify for that. That's what he does. It's a good place to be. And you know what? This, this may be a good place to just, just stop off and remind ourselves as I wrap up here, what, what Matthew says, uh, Jesus says rather in Matthew chapter 5, what's he say? This is how Jesus, this is how we treat sin in our life. If there's something in your life, listen, I'm just going to go ahead and come out and call it out. I don't, I'm not saying anybody in here, I don't, I don't know if this convicts you that you need to get with God again. Listen, there's a TV show getting ready to start back up on television. This TV show is so disgustingly sensual that statistics have shown when this TV show, the new season is out on HBO, I think it's the channel, I don't know, I've never seen it. When it's out, it is so sensual, it's so filled full of lustful things and inappropriate things that there is a dip in activity on Pornhub Pornhub is, the, I guess, the biggest porn site where everybody goes to see the pornography on the internet. There is a dip in statistics. They, 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 the, the people that, that run that Pornhub, they said we see a huge decline in viewership when Game of Thrones is on television. Now, if you don't watch that, praise the Lord. If you do, turn to Christ. Because listen, friends, listen. This is what Jesus, this is the advice. If, I'm not going to speak for Jesus. I'm going to let Jesus speak for Jesus. And if, that may not be your sin. It may be something else, right? I'm just, as an example. And I use that because TV has such a stronghold. Sometimes I'll watch TV and I'll get, and I'll be like, okay, I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to pray. And pretty soon I sit there and I'm flipping through and, oh, I'm, oh there's something on TV. Um, and it's not even something I really that much want to watch. It might even be like a stupid hockey game or something. And I watch it, and by the time it's over, I'm getting sleepy, and I roll over, and I put the remote down, and I'm like, I just wasted an hour and a half. I, I, could have been, I could have been spending time with my Savior. Whatever it is, whatever it is in your life, listen, this is what Jesus would tell you. If that's a struggle, if that's a bondage you have, Jesus says, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out. Throw it from you, for it is better to lose one of your parts of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off. Throw it from you. For it is better to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. That's what Jesus would tell you. If you're stuck in something like that, if you have that, it's just a good place to think about that. Some of you today, I hope you feel very comforted knowing that you may be in a season and you may have fallen this week, like probably all of us have. But there should be a joy in your heart knowing that Jesus is a, is, 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 he's a God of second chances. He's a God who, who loves to save. He's a God who loves when he stands with open arms and you run back to him. He's the shepherd. I'll close with this illustration. There's a, those of you that have, I wasn't raised on a farm, although we live out in sticks now, but there, there's, a, there's a, something I came across, and man, what an example of, of Jesus. Now listen to this. This should either, either going to make your heart sing or it's going to offer you some hope. It will make your heart sing if you're a Christian and if you're not here today as a believer of Christ, this should give you some extreme hope. Sometimes when a ewe has a lamb, 
that lamb's born and for whatever reason that you rejects it. Sometimes it may be the, 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 the mother is, the you is maybe what, older in age, doesn't want to deal with the lamb. Maybe it has twins and it can't feed both of them. And it'll get to a point where the, it'll even kick away the lamb. Kick it away. Reject it. At that point, that lamb has absolutely no hope. No hope. Because this world's going to shred that lamb, whether it be of natural causes of starvation or a wolf coming in. It's going to get shredded. The only hope that lamb has is if that shepherd comes and takes that lamb. Stories even of the shepherd pulling the lamb in so it can hear the heartbeat of that shepherd, nursing it, nursing it, coddling it, until the lamb gets to a point where it's strong enough to go out with the rest of the flock. <laughs> Let me tell you something. When that shepherd comes out and he says, sheep, sheep, who do you think the first sheep is to come run to that shepherd? Who do you think the one is that runs? And when that sheep runs to the shepherd, in that sheep's mind, that shepherd loves nobody other like that sheep. <laughs> now the shepherd doesn't love that one more than the others. But in that sheep's mind, it does. Why? Because that sheep knows the desperation. It knows what it's like to be a reject, an outcast. It knows what it's like to have all the world coming down and have no hope. Whether you're lost in, 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 in things coming after you, the, the attacks of, of the sin in this world. It comes at you. And that sheep knows the shepherd that took it in. And what's Jesus say? My sheep, they know my voice. Listen, I'm just going to say it. If you're a Christian here today, Pastor Dawn or whoever shouldn't have to twist your arm to go out and do things and win people to the, to the world, yeah. to Christ. My sheep know my voice. There's a desire to serve because you remember where you were brought from. You were brought with a price. You remember that. And that also flies in the face of this, this nonsense that, that, well, you can come out of this experience and maybe down your road in your life, you just lose your salvation because Christ loses Christians. No, 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 no. That shepherd who grabbed you and coddled you and fed you and nursed you and protected you and saved you. God's word says, no one can pluck you from his hand. Friends, that's what eternal life means. I want you to think about that. I want you to rejoice in that. I want you to have joy in that. I want you to, 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 bring, to bring God glory by basking in the joy of salvation, if that's you here today. If not, I've given you the signposts. I've given you the warnings. I've given you all the do not enters one way, turn around, no, all the signs that I can possibly give you in a short amount of time from God's word. Now it's up to you and your Savior. The Bible says he will never cast out anyone who comes to him. He will never turn you away. Because he knows if you're coming for a get-out-of-hell-free card or if you're broken over your sin. He knows the heart test of mind. Let's pray.